0: Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Christian Historical Fiction Talk. I am so glad that you have decided to join me because today is a very special day here on the podcast. As promised last time, we have a fabulous author who is going to be joining us shortly to chat with us a little bit about her latest release. Before we get to that, remember that you can always find the show notes at christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com So all the information about this author and the books that we talk about will all be on there for you to look up. Also, remember that we are on social media. Yes, you can find Christian Historical Fiction Talk on Facebook and on Twitter and on Instagram. So please be sure to go there and look us up and friend us or follow us and get the latest information on the podcast and what's upcoming and what's just been released so you don't want to miss a single episode. Our guest today is a best-selling Christie Award-nominated author, and she has written quite a number of books, all in between homeschooling her two kids and doing some editing and book cover designs. So she is a very busy lady, and yet she manages to find time to write some Absolutely terrific books. She is the author of a whole slew of historical novels and they span several continents and several thousands of years. She can write it all, folks, and she does it very well. It is my great pleasure to welcome author Rosanna White to the podcast this week. I have been reading her latest book. A Portrait of Loyalty. As soon as I got done with it, it was such a good read. I knew that she had to come and join us on the podcast. So she has graciously agreed to come and chat with us for a little while. Welcome, Rosanna White. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is our great pleasure, as I said before. Why don't you just start off by introducing yourself to the listeners?
1: All right. Well, my name is Rosanna, obviously. And I live in the mountains of West Virginia, right across the border from Maryland. So I homeschool my two kids. I've been married for longer than I sometimes care to admit because it ages me. Um, And I've been writing pretty much since I learned to hold a pencil in my hand. And um, there is just never any going back for me. It was I'm one of those people that uh, processes everything through writing and through words. So I've been writing since I was a kid. And I'm just so blessed to be able to just do that now and it be my career. and it's also my ministry and my calling, and I just love what I get to do. And isn't that great when we can
0: really love our jobs? Oh, yeah. Very few people, I think, get to say that, but we do. <laughs> yep, still work, but I love it. Right. Yes, that's, that's for sure.
1: So tell us a little bit about a portrait of loyalty, your latest release. All right. A Portrait of Loyalty is the third book in the Codebreaker series, which is about the intelligence agency in England during the First World War. So this is kind of the precursor to the better known Bletchley Park from World War II, made up of cryptographers and codebreakers. They were actually intercepting every German message during World War I and had to Uh, basically crack them every day and crack the codes. And it was just pretty amazing work that they did. Uh, And as soon as I learned about it, I was like, oh, need a series about this, need to write about them. So I use fictional characters that are set against the historical backdrop. This particular book was actually inspired by a historical figure, Ernst Federline, who was a Russian cryptographer who fled Russia in the wake of the Bolshevik Revolution and came to England and served out not only the end of the war there, but he ended up making England his permanent home and helped found Bletchley Park. So he was so inspiring that I wanted to write his story, but I wanted to fictionalize it. So I created a new character who knew the historical character and just kind of borrowed bits and pieces. So the story Story is about this Russian cryptographer who comes from Russia and ends up serving in England, and then my heroine is a photographer who works for the intelligence division. She does the the kind of traditional work of developing film and archiving film. But she also is called upon to create images and do some some doctoring of photographs, which is something that I found also to be really intriguing when I learned that a fake photograph actually had a big hand in ending the war. So when I learned that, I was like, oh, the photographer, I would love to know more about them. So I couldn't find a whole lot of information about the actual people. So, you know, I just made it all up. It was fun.
0: That's always the fun part is that you you get these little bits of history and then you can kind of run with them and do your own thing with them.
1: Yes, exactly. And so
0: I imagine you must have had to do an awful lot of research for this book. I mean, you're researching Russia and the revolution there and all of these code breakers and the people in the intelligence division and photography Tell us a little bit of what your
1: research was
0: like for this book.
1: Um, my primary resource was a book called Blinker Hall, Spy Master, that kind of outlined Room 40, which is the code-breaking division, throughout the entire war. So this was my main book for the whole series. So I took very detailed notes and had an actual spreadsheet. I'm not an organized person, so this was like miraculous for me, but I had a spreadsheet with all the interesting things and what pages they could be found on. So that was kind of my go-to for the whole series. But with the particular elements of this one, I did have to read read some books on turn-of-the-century photography and retouching photos and how the cameras worked and, of course, on the Russian Revolution. So there was there was a lot of research that went into that as well. I had already done some Russian research. I had a minor character. Well, she was my third POV character in a previous book who was Russian. So I had read I read more than I really had to to research for her and it served me well here too. So I knew what Russia was like leading up to the revolution so I could just research the revolution itself and try to pull in some things there and there was there was a lot of of things I learned that I really hadn't realized about the revolution and just where the people really were in in the world at that point and you know why there was this huge social outcry in Russia at the time so it was it was a lot of fun doing this research for sure but there was certainly a lot of it yeah so it
0: sounds like you really enjoy the research aspect of writing
1: in general, yeah. Um, I never have as much time for it as I think I do and as I wish I did. So a lot of it is like I, I cram as much as I can into a week or two of just reading things. And then a lot of it is just spot checking as I go and keeping books going, I, I'm usually not all the way through a research book when I have to start writing. So I just keep reading as I can, as, as time permits. But yeah, the, I, I don't really have the leisure of reading everything I'd like to before I get started, not with deadlines being what they are.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Do you do much traveling in the course of researching your books?
1: Certainly not in the last year. (laughs) Um, I like to do a bit of traveling when I can, uh, but that doesn't happen nearly as often as I would like it to, especially as my husband would like it to. He'd have us traveling constantly if we could. Um, So I did manage to take one trip to England in 2016. So that was just invaluable. I I really enjoyed that and I've gotten to pull on different aspects of that trip in in a couple different books. So that's lovely. So I haven't made it to Russia or anything like that, but I did get to spend a little bit of time in London and the English countryside. So that has definitely served me well.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful. If there were somewhere that you could go and travel when all of this is done and over with, where would you go?
1: That would be the Silly Islands off the coast of England. Off they're down east of Cornwall, east, west. Anyway, they're, they're off the coast of Cornwall. And um, <laughs> that's where my next series is set. So I would love to get to go there and explore these awesome looking little islands before my next series begins. But uh, yeah, the, the world is not cooperating with this goal right now. Yep. <laughs> so we'll see. I have to content myself with YouTube tours at the moment.
0: So before we jump into your next series and what that's going to be about, why don't we go back and Tell us a little bit about the first two books
1: in this Code series. Sure. So I actually, I got the idea when I was writing my previous series, which is called Shadows Over England. I had a character named Lucas de Wilde, who was Belgian. And he had this little sister that I absolutely adored. Her name was Margot, and she was super interesting. She was very mathematical. And she also would be on the autism spectrum today. Obviously, they didn't have a word for that at the time, a very mild case, but it just gave her a very interesting personality and quirks. And so I knew I wanted to write her story. So we ended up kind of doing a spin-off series. It stands on its own, but it's, it is it is in the same world. So that's the code breakers. So Margot is the sole female cryptographer in room 40. I did completely make this up. There were plenty of women working there, but they were all secretaries so far as we know. <laughs> um, so I did put in there that it was very secretive. Everyone thought she was a secretary. So she was kind of my uh, transition from the previous series into this new one. So each book in the series follows a different code Breaker who's in room 40, the intelligence division and they're all very close-knit they're all very friend very close friends, which is historical. that's one of the things I loved learning about room 40 was that it was this tight-knit community they you know they went to each other's parties and they threw special parties for themselves and they wrote bad poetry and songs and you know just thoroughly entertained each other. Um, so I just loved learning about that and I wanted to pull a little bit of that in. So yeah, so my way of writing a series is that I have a different couple in each one that takes center stage, and it trades off from book to book, but you'll still see the previous characters in the next books and all that. So yeah, so it kind of took us through the last two years, I think, of the war in the series, and this book actually ends with the end of the war. So yeah, lots of fun.
0: Now, when you were putting this series together, did you plot out the entire series? first and then start writing? Or did you sort of just kind of have a general idea and then just see where it took you from there?
1: Well, when I pitched the idea to Bethany House, I had a full synopsis of book one and uh, a paragraph each for books (laughs) two and three. Um, So I knew like, you know, the general time period and I knew the general plot line, like, you know, which historical things would happen in it and which made up things would happen in it. So, you know, I knew that book three was going to end the war and I just kind of, you know, came up with more details as we went. And then I had to I had to come up with a full plot for approval before I started writing each one. But it was it was fairly vague to begin with. You know, I knew that this book would be about the Russian cryptographer and the photographer and that it would hit on the Spanish flu and the end of the war. And that's pretty much all I do before I sat down to write it.
0: And little did you know at the time how timely the Spanish flu part of the book would be.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I turned in my, you know... Rewritten revised manuscript in November. So, this was you know a month before there was the first stirrings of the pandemic in you know in China, months before it made its way to America. So, yeah, it was definitely one of those things of when this hit, I was going, Oh man, this is either going to be really great or really (laughs) awful in terms of my book because people are going to be so sick of hearing about pandemics. Um, but yeah, so it was tough. Totally coincidental. (laughs) Now, you mentioned that
0: you homeschool your two children. Right. What, what grades are your children in and
1: how on earth do you juggle homeschooling and writing these books? <laughs> so my kids are in 10th and 7th grades, so they're fairly independent at this point. But I, I always say, if you could see my house, you wouldn't ask how I juggle it because I just don't do the housework. That's all. I mean, it just <laughs> it just doesn't get done. So yeah, it's all about prioritizing and I'm sorry, but picking up things from the floor just isn't my highest priority these days. <laughs> so um, generally speaking, I have my set time where I work on things and my husband also works from home. So I've had the leisure of being able to take a day away from the house for the last several years and go and just focus on my work. And he's here to, to man the man the helm and make sure the kids are great. And so, yeah, so I just... Just use my time. And the, generally speaking, the kids know to respect the time that is set aside for writing. Otherwise, it's just it's the way it's always been. We've always homeschooled. And it kind of built as my career was growing. So we we grew together, <laughs> mama as writer and mama as schooler. So yeah, it's it's kind of just the way it's always been. And we're used to it.
0: Do either one of your children seem to show any interest in possibly being writers themselves. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, my daughter is very interested in it, and she has actually finished one novel and is working on the sequel. My son thinks that books are just absurd, and uh, he he entertains me by, you know, he's into video games, so he'll always be building houses in Minecraft or whatever, and he'll always build a library for me. <laughs> but, but when it comes to actually reading a book, he's just like, eh, there are so many more interesting things to do. So. So he loves it when I read to him, which is part of our school, but to pick one up for himself or to write his own story, he's just not interested in it. But he's still crafting worlds in his head. Like on vacation a couple weeks ago, he was telling us about these worlds he's created in his imagination that, you know, who knows what he might do with them someday, but they're like, you know, huge galactic worlds. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. Uh, So still a storyteller, but not with writing.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Now, you are also a podcaster yourself. Would you care to share with us a little bit about your podcast?
1: Sure. I have a podcast called Wordfall. And it's mostly the same thing that I post on my blogs on Thursdays, which are my thoughtful posts. So they're kind of small devotional type things. They're they're mostly based on faith. And they're pretty short. They're usually all between two and seven minutes. So they're kind of bite-sized. So it's it's basically just reflections about where life and faith and occasionally parenting and writing kind of intersect. So yeah, just, just fun little five-minute, on average, clips that you can listen to on the go.
0: That sounds really cool and something our listeners should be sure to check out. Now, I was also on your website, and I saw that you have something called the Tea
1: Party Book Club. What's that? Yes. Okay, so I had this idea last summer when the first book in this series released called The Number of Love – And, you know, these books are set in England. So, you know, tea is a very important part of life over there. And it just kind of came to me when I was having a tea party at a local tea house with my family members and a lady from our church. And it was right when the book was coming out. And so I just kind of started thinking, huh, tea parties are a lot of fun. And I had this online meeting with somebody coming up that week. And I was like, There's all this technology now, and everyone loves getting cool stuff in the mail. Why don't I do an online tea party? So I was super excited and obsessed with this idea for quite a while, and so I I sourced all the materials. So basically, once a month or so, I get together with whoever wants to join me among my readers, and there's a book of the month. So we run it like a book club in that we're talking about the book, going through the discussion questions, but it's also a tea party. So I have sent... want a package that has loose leaf tea and some treats and tea party goodies. And there's, you know, things like bookmarks that correspond to the book and all that, all that fun stuff. And if they want to, they can order a starter kit that has a individual teapot and a vintage cup and a little gold spoon and a tea cozy and all that. So it's just been a lot of fun. It's been going on for, uh, I guess, a year and three or four months at this point, And I've probably done, i don't know probably about 15 tea parties and it's just it's it's great fun i have a lot of um repeat customers who come back uh so we we've established a nice A nice dynamic, and we always have such great discussions. So sometimes we do my books, sometimes we have guest authors who join us with their books. We have one coming up at the end of the month that is a princess tea party. Uh, We're reading Heart of a Princess by Hannah Curie. We did her first book as well. This is her second. So before I sent everybody little tiaras for the party, this one they're getting a little silver necklace. So it's just super fun, and it's a chance to get together and eat fun things and drink delicious. Tea and talk about a book. So, what could be better, right? Absolutely nothing in my book. That sounds
0: fabulous. <laughs> what a great idea! You can uh, sign me up for that one. I that just sounds so like yeah. You're right. It just sounds like so much fun. It really is. We have a blast. I'll bet you do, Now, You mentioned that you have another series that you're working on, which uh-huh. doesn't
1: surprise me. Uh, <laughs> Always working on something. <laughs>
0: There's always something going on in an
1: author's head. What is coming up for you? Uh, Well, next, I actually have a standalone called Dreams of Savannah, which releases in January. And that is set in the Civil War South. Savannah, obviously. Big surprise, right? So that one has a lot of racial reconciliation themes in it. And that, again, is just a standalone. Mm -hmm. So after that, in June the new series will begin. And that one is called Secrets of the Isles. It starts with the nature of a lady. So this kind of goes out of the war. (laughs) I'm done with wars for a little while. Very exciting. So it's set in 1906 on the Isles of Scilly, which are, they're actually subtropical. So it's England, but they are about two months ahead in terms of seasons. So spring hits early there, summer hits early there. So they just are gorgeous little islands. And because of their location, they, were a hub for pirates back in the day. So in 1906, pirating days are certainly over, but there's still all the legends of pirates and the shipwrecks and all that around. So I have some pirate lore and some pirate treasure we're searching for. I have some mistaken identity. So the whole premise is that Lady Elizabeth, who goes by Libby, comes to the islands thinking she's just having a holiday, but her holiday cottage. Was actually previously rented to another girl named Elizabeth um, who has vanished. And this vanished Elizabeth's brother shows up looking for her. So, of course, he's handsome and charming. (laughs) And um, (laughs) of course, of course, he's actually a local clergyman. Um, So, you know, we have our love story and we have our search for his missing sister and a search for pirate treasure. And it's just so much fun. I'm so excited for it.
0: Oh, that does sound like a lot of fun and something we'll be sure to keep our eyes out for come June. And for the other book also that's releasing February, you said?
1: I think it's January, early January. Yeah. January.
0: Okay. So something to read while we're all huddled down during the middle of the winter. Right, and something set in the south where it's nice and warm, so it'll take right. you away. We can we can dream about being someplace warm for those <laughs> right. of us who live in the northern climates. <laughs> That's right. Now, if our listeners are wanting
1: to look you up and to connect with you, where can they find you? Well, you can certainly find me on my website, which is rosanna m I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. All of my handles are rosanna m white, so I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I do send out weekly newsletters, uh, so these will have my blog post in them, any tea parties that are coming up. I also have some t-shirts and tote bags that have fun bookish things on them that I'll let you know when those are available and deals and all that. So I'm, I'm very accessible, and I love chatting with readers, so you can find me pretty much anywhere, anytime.
0: Well, that's great. Is there any last words that you would like to share with the listeners?
1: I suppose just that, uh, again, I love chatting about books, whether they are mine or someone else's, and always welcome a bookish conversation.
0: I think any author would would say amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. We really appreciate you taking time out of what sounds like a very busy schedule to come and to chat with us and we are definitely going to be keeping up with you and with your books and look forward to what's coming out next
1: awesome sounds great and thanks again for having me
0: that's about all the time we have for today's episode thank you so much for joining me and for joining rosanna here on christian historical fiction talk You'll want to be sure to tune in next time because next time we are going to have a roundup of the Christie Award-nominated books for 2020. I saw a lot of very good, very interesting titles that we're going to take some time and talk about in the next episode. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure that you have subscribed to Christian Historical Fiction Talk on your favorite podcasting site. Also remember to check out the show notes where you can find Rosanna's information, and that is christianhistoricalfiction.buzzsprout.com. And while you're on the web, I would love for you to stop by my website, which is LizTolsma.com. There you can find out about my newest release, which is The Refrain Within. It's my latest World War II book set in Hungary. And it's about a family who needs to escape from the Nazis. So it's kind of an edge-of-the-seat suspenseful book. Also, I have an upcoming book. You'll want to be able to check that out on my website there as well. Thank you again for joining us, and we will see you next time on Christian Historical Fiction Talk.